Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. This is from the Glasgow Times on Wednesday the 22nd of November 2023 from the sports section. Euro 2024 draw. When is it and who could Scotland face? Report by Ewan Payton, sports writer. Scotland are heading to Germany and the fans are ready for a party. Supporters are planning their travel and accommodation plans for next summer's European Championships. It's not yet clear where Scotland will play their games or be based to prepare for their matches. But the draw for the competition is fast approaching. Here are all the details you need to know about the Euro 2024 draw. When is the draw for Euro 2024? The draw will take place on Saturday, December the 2nd. It will commence at 5pm UK time. It will be held in Hamburg, Germany. Is the draw for Euro 2024 on TV and can I live stream it? Well, the draw is not on TV. Thankfully, the draw will be available to watch. UEFA will broadcast the draw live on their official website, YouTube channel and app. Who could Scotland get in the draw? The pots for next summer's European Championship have yet to be officially determined. The seeding is instead based on how well the teams performed in qualifying. Scotland will be pulled out of the hat from pot 3, and some of the teams in other sections have also been confirmed. However, while some nations have sealed their qualification, they have yet to be assigned a pot. Pot 1. Germany, Portugal, France, Belgium, Spain, England. Pot 2. Hungary, Denmark, Austria, Albania, Turkey, Romania. Pot 3. Scotland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Netherlands, Croatia. Pot 4. Serbia, Switzerland, Italy. Playoff winner A from Wales, Poland, Estonia. Playoff winner B from Israel, Iceland, Bosnia, Ukraine. Playoff winner C from Georgia, Luxembourg, Greece, Kazakhstan. Where will the Euro 2024 games be played? There are 10 host cities as part of the tournament. It all kicks off in Munich on June 14th, with the final taking place exactly a month later in Berlin. Full list of host cities. Berlin, Olympiastadion, Cologne, Cologne Stadium, Dortmund, BVB Stadion Dortmund, Düsseldorf, Düsseldorf Arena, Frankfurt, Frankfurt Arena, Gelsenkirchen, Arena Off Schalke, Hamburg, Volkssparkstadion, Hamburg, Leipzig, Leipzig Stadium, Munich, Munich Football Arena, Stuttgart, Stuttgart Arena. 
how can I get tickets for Euro 2024? As mentioned, thousands have already booked up travel and accommodation for Germany, even though there is yet no indication of where Scotland will be based for their games. It seems it will be a case of planes, trains and automobiles for fans keen to watch the country at another major tournament in quick succession after the last Euros in 2021. The first phase of the ticket ballot, which was open to the public, closed in October. Around 1.2 million tickets were sold as part of this process. The second part of this ballot will take place following the playoffs in March. It's believed that each member association will receive 9,500 tickets per game. So with 38,000 members of the Scotland Supporters Club, there will be many left disappointed, unfortunately. That report was by Ewan Patton. This is from the Glasgow Times. On Wednesday, the 22nd of November, 2023. From the sports section. Euro 2024 pots revealed as Scotland's picture becomes clearer. Report by Aidan MacDonald, football writer. The pots for Euro 2024 have been revealed after the competition's qualification campaign officially concluded. The final match day results confirmed that Turkey and Romania are in the second pot, while Croatia clinched a place in pot three, and both current holders Italy and Switzerland will be drawn from pot four. Scotland secured their place in Germany last month after Spain defeated Norway, with Steve Clark's side sitting in pot three. The draw takes place on December the 2nd at 5pm UK time, ahead of the tournament beginning next June. It will be broadcast for free via UEFA's website, as well as on their YouTube and social media channels. Three spots will be decided by the playoffs, which take place in March next year. There will be 12 teams participating in the playoffs, decided by their performance in the Nations League. They will be split into three groups of four teams, with a place at Euro 2024 available to the nation that wins each of those paths. Pot 1 will include hosts Germany, along with Portugal, France, England, Belgium and Spain. Pot 2 is now confirmed with Turkey, Denmark, Hungary, Albania, Romania and Austria. Pot 3 sees Scotland joined by the Netherlands, Croatia, Czech Republic, Slovakia and Slovenia. Pot 4 is made up of Switzerland, Italy, Serbia, playoff winners A, Wales, Poland, Estonia, to be clarified from path B, playoff winners B, Israel, Iceland, Bosnia, Ukraine, and playoff winners C, Georgia, Luxembourg, Greece, Kazakhstan. That report was by Aidan MacDonald. This is from the Glasgow Times. On Wednesday, the 22nd of November, 2023. From the sports section. Moi Ioannoussi on the Celtic star who still blows him away. Report by Graeme McGarry, senior sports writer. Celtic, as it does with many of its former players, has certainly left its mark on Moi Ioannoussi. The winger, who spent two years at the club, was back in Glasgow on international duty with Norway at the weekend, and he waxed lyrical about his former side and his time living in the city. One man who left a huge impression on the 29-year-old was fellow winger James Forrest, who, if we are using the kind adjective, is even more experienced than he is. His only surprise was that the now 32-year-old 
was not in the Scotland squad at the weekend, alongside some of his former teammates. But Forrest's longevity, and the fact he can still make a valuable contribution to Celtic, is an inspiration to Ioannisi, who hasn't ruled out returning one day to be one of the elder statesmen in their squad himself. It's amazing he's 32 now. I wish I had those genes, Ioannisi said. What a lad. He's such a good guy. He's very humble, and it's great to say he's still going strong. I hope they will have a successful season ahead. I heard he's scored in 15 seasons in a row. That is incredible, and I don't know if I will achieve that. I have children, and he doesn't have any yet, so that's a big minus for me. I have two under four, so I have grey hair now. He's such a top professional. I'm not surprised he is continuing to do it. The only surprise is when people tell me his age, because he still looks so young. I still follow Celtic, and it's great to see them doing so well. I hope they have another successful season ahead. Ianusi enjoyed a successful spell at Celtic on a personal level, even though it was blighted somewhat by COVID-19 restrictions and a poor second season for the team overall. And his only real regret is that he didn't get the full experience of playing on front of the Celtic support for a longer spell. I was only at the club for two years, but it still felt like a long time because I enjoyed it, he said. I only had six months with fans and the rest was without. That was something I really missed and it was something I was looking forward to, as that is why I stayed longer. But I have good memories on and off the pitch. They are good lads. I said to my wife, it would be nice to come back and go to a game, see where we lived and just remember the good times. As soon as we landed, it felt like being back in the old days, especially with the rain as well. I thought, Glasgow hasn't changed too much. We also stayed in the same hotel we did with Celtic, so there was a lot of good memories coming back. I still stay in touch with some of the boys. There are a few still there from my time, like Callum, McGregor, Jamesy and Greg, Taylor. I talk to them after the game, and I still watch Celtic games. Even some fans are still in touch with me, and that is nice. It was great to see such nice lads. Obviously, we shared many great memories together. The return to Glasgow was a little bittersweet for Ionissi in terms of his fortunes for the national side too, with his late goal claiming a draw for his nation. But the point ultimately counted for nothing, with the Scots already home and housed in the group. Scotland's stunning smash and grab win in Oslo had seen to that, but given his links to the team and to the country, Ionissi says he will be an ordinary member of the Tartan army come next summer. Did we spoil the party? I think the party was going on anyway, he said. It's always nice to be at Hampton Park again. I have nice memories of there, and of course, it's always nice to score. It was meant to be the big final for us, but it didn't work out that way. For us, it was going out and showing we should have been in the Euros. We were obviously missing some big players, but we have enough quality to score goals. It was a good performance. Overall, Scotland deserved to go through. They beat Spain here. So we knew it was a tough challenge, and the atmosphere was really good. It was a good away game for us. The defeat to Scotland in Oslo was the turning point for us, probably for Scotland as well. We shouldn't be conceding two goals in three minutes. It's history now, so we have to look ahead to the challenges in front of us and try to get better as a team. They totally deserve to be there. Myself and Chris Ager knew there would be a good atmosphere, and we told the boys before the game. You heard it with the national anthem and through the game. I just wish Scotland all the best. 
I'm going to cheer for them because I know so many of the players with Stuart Armstrong and Ryan Christie as well. They deserve to be there. That report was by Graeme McGarry. This is from the Glasgow Times on Wednesday the 22nd of November 2023 from the sports section. Scotland keeper Clark only heeding opinions that matter. Report by Graeme McGarry, senior sports writer. Xander Clark has realised his dream of being Scotland's number one over the past week or so, but the big keeper is anything but naive. He knows that when Angus Gunn is fit, he will once again be relegated to the role of understudy, and he is keenly aware that there has been ample criticism of his performances in the games against Georgia and Norway. Clark picked the ball out of the net on five occasions over the course of those two matches, and while he wasn't helped by the dual handicaps of the rather makeshift defence in front of him, and manager Steve Clark trying out an unfamiliar formation that featured a back four, he may well on reflection be disappointed with at least a couple of the efforts that found their way past him. His attitude to it all, though, can be summed up by borrowing a line from a ditty, which is proving rather popular with the Tartan army at the minute. Que sera sera. All he can do is perform to the best of his ability, try to catch the eye of the national team manager with his club performances and listen to the feedback of his coaches. Anything else is just noise, as far as he is concerned. So between now and next summer, if he can be satisfied that he has got his head down and worked as hard as he can to get on that plane to Germany, what will be will be. Listen, that is the life of the goalkeeper, Clark said. There will be people that don't want to see you in there, and people that do want to see you in there. I just try and do my best any time I pull on any jersey and go into a game. People have their opinions. Listen, I am the most critical of myself. If other people want to be critical of me and feel that I should have done better in any instance, I'll be the first person to be overcritical with myself. It is the life of a goalkeeper. You can be a hero or a villain very, very quickly. It's something that I have learned to get used to. Maybe back in the day when I was younger and breaking through, it would have bothered me. But nowadays, if the manager is happy, the coaching staff are happy, then they are the only opinions that matter. Any sniping about his capabilities certainly didn't serve the experience of playing in front of a jubilant, if strangely relaxed, Hamden crowd on Sunday evening. It was great, he said. Obviously. I have experienced some memorable nights here as part of the squad, but to be starting in the game, it was special. We've earned the right to enjoy it. Obviously, it was great to get back in front of the home fans, who we've not seen since we qualified, so it was good to get that lap of honour and soak it up. I was delighted with the 45 minutes in Lille, and obviously more delighted to get the full game the other night, and to see your name in the starting lineup again at Hamden is a real special moment. To represent your country is a dream come true, but it makes it a wee bit more special when it is in front of a home crowd. I'm delighted to get that chance, and I had my wife in the crowd, and so many of my mates in the crowd, and it was nice to see them as well. My mum and dad are on holiday, but I'm sure they would have been watching on proud. It was great. Just to be part of the squad is a true honour, but if you get minutes, it is even better. The other potential hurdle for Clark to clear on his own road to Germany comes in the shape of the returning Craig Gordon, the man whose place he has taken for both club and country, and who is now back in reserve team action following the horrific leg break he suffered on Christmas Eve last year. 
The 41-year-old will be desperate to regain his position as number one for Hearts, before staking his own claim to go to his second major tournament with Scotland, and his presence is certain to keep Clark on his toes and push himself every single day in training. That may be no bad thing though for the former St Johnson man, who admits he has found international football to be on a different level to his normal bread and butter in the Scottish Premiership. It is obviously a step up. You're playing against top, top players every game you go into, he said. It has been a step up. It has been enjoyable. A new experience for me. I had never experienced international football until I was at first team level. That was when I made it to the first squad I was ever in. Even in training or sitting on the bench, when you're watching these players, you can learn so much from it. But to actually be in the thick of it, it is only a positive and you have so many learning experiences you can take from it to look to push yourself on. That report was by Graeme McGarry. Glasgow Times on the 24th of November and the sports section. Three Saints Premiership calls deemed incorrect by VAR Review Panel by Gavin McCafferty. Only three decisions have been deemed incorrect by the VAR Independent Review Panel, IRP, following the first round of Cinch Premiership fixtures, the PA News Agency understands. Aberdeen striker Bojan Miovisky's so-called double-hit penalty against St Mirren and two incidents that went against Dundee were flagged up as mistakes by the panel. The IRP claimed a red card handed to Dundee midfielder Josh Mulligan and the Tayside's club's disallowed goal against Livingston were errors. There have been 407 VAR checks since the start of the season, 20 of which led to on-field reviews. The IRP was set up by the governing body ahead of the start of the season, first full campaign with the video technology in place. The panel of former players, managers and coaches is guided by experts on the laws of the game. It gives an analysis of interventions and non-interventions from VAR. The 12 Premiership clubs had a meeting with the Scottish FA's Referees Department on Thursday to review their performance in VAR during the opening round of fixtures. Audio of conversations between match officials and the VAR control room was relayed to the club representatives and explanations were given over how some key match incidents were dealt with. Miofsky's spot kick equaliser in the 10th minute of stoppage time in Paisley on August 27 prevented St Mirren from getting top off, or from going top of the league. There was VAR check after Miovisky dispatched the penalty as Saints goalkeeper Zach Hemming claimed the North Macedonia striker had touched the ball twice after slipping while taking the spot kick, but the goal was given. Mulligan was sent off for a challenge on Danny Armstrong and Dunty's 2-2 draw with Kamarnock on September 23. Video assistant referee Ewan Anderson asked David Monroe to review the incident, but the referee stuck by his original decision. Dundee boss Tony Doherty said the game said after the game, I thought it was a never a red card, and I said that to the referee. Yes, it was a foul and a booking. It's about consistency. If that's the decision for that tackle, then there should be a been seven or eight red cards. Dundee subsequently failed to overturn the red card following an appeal. The IRP also felt Dundee were on the receiving end of an injustice when Amadou Bakayoko had a goal disallowed in a 2-0 win at Livingston on October 28. 
Referee Willie Cullum ruled the goal out after reviewing footage, deciding at least one offside Dundee player was interfering with play. And that was by George McCafferty. The Glasgow Times on the 24th of November and the sports section. Celtic-linked striker earns Henry Larson comparison. And this is by David Irvin. Celtic link Luke Bartman has earned a comparison to Parkhead hero Henrik Larsson. Ben Rogers has been credited with an interest in the 70-year-old South African wonder kid. And now Cape Town Spurs technical director Sean Connor has likened Bartman's attacking qualities to Larsson and Craig Bellamy. Connor handed Bartman his debut in South Africa and is major optimistic of a big future in the game for the talented teenager. He told the Scottish Sun, I saw a board train on my second day here after taking the technical director's job at Cape Town Spurs. The special awareness, movement and pace reminded me immediately of Craig Bellamy and Henrik Larsson from when they were at Celtic. I've not had a feeling like this about a player since I gave Seamus Coleman his opportunity and look at the career he's gone on to have. As soon as I brought Luke into the first team, he's looked at home and not out of place, which is testimony to the young man's character. The reported Bartman transfer interest comes after Rogers insisted he has the final say on all recruitment, even if there is a process in place over possible signings. Listen, it's something that's natural, said Rogers, of the theories of signing decisions. People will always wonder, especially when we're a club that doesn't have a director or of football or sporting director. But it's really no different here to most clubs. We identify the profile of the players that we want. The recruitment team then side that down to a certain number. Then it comes forward to me to decide on the best ones to bring in. And if none of the three are at the, ne- the level, then we don't bring them, bring them. It's as simple as that. And that was by David Irvin. Glasgow Times on the 24th of November and the sports section. Philippe Clement provides Rangers injury update by David Irvin. Rangers Mariner Philippe Clement has provided an injury update on his squad. The Ibrox boss has confirmed he will be without Nicholas Raskin for the trip to Pitodre to face Aberdeen on Sunday. And Ryan Jack, fresh off the back of Scotland duty, is a doubt for the weekend. Clement has been boosted however, by the return of Kemmer Roof to Rangers training. The striker is back in full sessions with the first team squad for a couple of days a week. Clement said Raskin still out. Jack is doubtful for Sunday. Roof is starting to train with the team in full sessions a couple of days a week. The rest of the squad trained as normal. On a timeline for Raskin, Clement added, Nico will return in the next couple of weeks. Not a major issue now. And on squad fitness generally, Clement said it's important to keep everyone fit. We need all the players to show that they are ready with the fixtures we have. I'm satisfied with the level of training and the satisfaction and dedication. There has always been the same amount of work during the international break, but in different ways to busy match weeks. And that was by David Irvin. Glasgow Times on the 24th of November and the sports section. The Pyro Debate, Premier League Pyro Solution, Identify Master Pyro Ultras with AI, 
by Matthew Lindsay. Scotland's football clubs have been told they can, can extinguish pyrotechnic offences inside their stadiums by following England's lead and using artificial intelligence with CCTV surveillance footage to identify ultras who attempt to hide their identities with balaclavas. Representatives of the Scottish Government, Scottish Football Safety Officers Association, Police Scotland, the SFA and the SPFL met at Hamden on Tuesday to discuss the growing problem of fans setting off flares, smoke grenades, strobes and rockets inside stadiums. An action plan is now set to be drawn up which key stakeholders in the game in this country hope will help to eradicate a dangerous practice that jeopardises the safety of supporters and has been on the rise in the past few seasons. Peter Horton of the Football Safety Officers Association in England has revealed how clubs down south have effectively snuffed out the pyrotechnic problem after witnessing an explosion in off-field unrest when lockdown restrictions were lifted back in 2021. The Football Policing Unit, an organisation that operates in England and Wales, released figures in September last year which showed that incidents involving fireworks at matches had almost doubled from 394 to 729 in the 2021-22 season. But Horton has worked in stadium safety for his boyhood heroes Manchester City for 28 years, stressed that they are now extremely rare at the top division. We had pyrotechnic use or box stop, uh, boxed off until uh, we had pyrotechnic use or boxed off up until COVID. He said it only really happened on Derby Day, but after lockdown restrictions were lifted and fans were allowed back inside grounds, things change. There's a line in the Clash song "Bank Robber" which says, "Imagine if all the boys in jail could get out now together." That is what it is like. It's become a bit like the Alamo. Everybody had been stuck in the houses for months and they just wanted to misbehave. Fortunately, we have just got to grips with that now two or three years on. Pyrotechnic use is less of a problem in England now than it, it was after COVID. There is less and less evidence of it. I hope that is because our safety officers are very good at their jobs. They plan for it every week put risk assessments together for pyrotechnics and try their very best to keep it away from their stadiums. Their efforts seem to be having an impact. It might just be the time of the season. It might be that come the business end of the season, it all comes back. Maybe if Liverpool score against City this weekend, we will get a lot of red flares. But by and large, it's not something that we see down here anymore. So what did clubs in England do to address the issue and what can their counterparts in Scotland learn from their experiences? Horton told how having sniffer dogs positioned outside turnstiles and putting increasingly sophisticated video surveillance systems inside stadiums has been highly effective in both deterring and prosecuting troublemakers. I know at various grounds in the Premier League they have detection dogs, he said. They're generally pyrotechnic dogs, but not always person coming in doesn't know if they are looking for firearms, weapons, drugs, whatever. They just see a sniffer dog. They don't realise there are ten different types of sniffer dog. If your prevention measures at the turnstiles are successful, then that helps. But it is difficult to detect someone smuggling in pyrotechnics or be proactive in stopping them. Some of these smoke canisters will fit in a, into a cigarette packet. If that's given to a kid to stick down his undies, then that's going to get in undetected. 
That was evidence of that happening a few years ago. But that is where CCTV comes in. Even before CCTV got as sophisticated as it is now, the local cops in Manchester would generally be able to find out who the offender was if they had any kind of image of him. The current ones with artificial intelligence, tracking and everything else make the job even easier. Clubs have fairly sophisticated CCTV systems now, which can basically track you from the moment you appear anywhere near the site until the moment you leave it. They can follow you just about everywhere. If a guy stood there waving a pyrotechnic device about, it's easy to detect his seat number. The address doesn't have to take place on the day. He can be picked up on Thursday when the officers had a good chance to look at the CCTV and find out who he is. Many ultras in Scotland wear balaclavas and sunglasses or colour their faces with scarves when they are setting off flares, smoke grenades and strobes. They also move away from their allocated seats. It becomes difficult, if not impossible, for both police and club security staff to identify and apprehend them. However, Horton has witnessed firsthand how advancements in modern technology have made attempts to conceal identity futile and revealed that no fewer than 14 Premier League clubs now use the latest video surveillance software at their grounds. Adding AI is something that's pretty new at the moment, he said. But there are companies who are adding elements of artificial intelligence to CCTV and other things in the stadium. They make it virtually impossible for anyone to take to make themselves anonymous. The AI, the AI is attached to CCTV as part of the process. There are one or two issues with it at the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office. People are complaining that it breaches GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, and a lot of other things. It is pretty much in its infancy at the moment. But there are companies out there which are saying, OK, if you've got X, Y and Z on your CCTV, then we can attach this to it and we will know who everybody is and everything else about them. It's frightening what they can do. I found putting a balaclava on changes the appearance, doesn't it? But the guy has had to have got into the stadium somehow, either with a ticket or a season card. The identification can now be carried out through those channels rather than just by appearance. There was an outcry in Scottish football back in 2016 when the SPFL asked Hollywood for financial support to help them introduce facial recognition technology at stadiums and identify those guilty of violence, sectarian singing, racist abuse, pyrotechnic use and other prohibited behaviours. The plan, which would have cost £4 million to implement, was eventually shelved. But could using artificial intelligence for CCTV now help weed out troublemakers who are determined to set off flares and smoke grenades on match days and believe they can evade capture? And that was by Matthew Lindsay. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 25th of November, from the sports section... Celtic 1, Motherwell 1, Instant Reaction to the Burning Issues, Report by Graham McGarry. Celtic were left frustrated as a late John Obika goal earned the struggling Steelman a brilliant point in Glasgow. It looked as though Celtic would take a hard, hard-fought three points as David Turnbull eventually put them ahead from the spot late on after Lewis Palmer had missed from the spot earlier in the match. Obika bundled home from a corner to give the visitors an unlikely share of the spoils in what was at times an intriguing 
if far from consistently exciting contest. Motherwell will feel they deserved it, even though they were helped by Celtic's wastefulness in front of goal and from 12 yards. Their back five, who were further bolstered by Callum Butcher patrolling the area just in front of them, were excellent and their goalkeeper Liam Kelly was outstanding. Here are the talking points from a frustrated Celtic Park. Motherwell eventually pay the penalty. It doesn't seem to matter who takes the penalties for Celtic, but for a squad packed full of technical footballers and more than a few accomplished finishers, they have a remarkable knack for missing them. Their curse looked to have cost them again here. This time it was Lewis Palmas' turn to step up and try his luck from 12 yards after Bevis Mugabe had one of those lapses that occasionally blight the otherwise good work that he does at the heart of the Motherwell backline. He diverted the cross towards his own goal, forcing a good low save from Liam Kelly, but when the ball fell to O, there appeared there would only be one outcome. That was until Mugabe barreled through the back of the substitute, leaving referees shot Stephen McLean with no option but to point to the spot. As much as the award prompted a roar of relief from what had become a frustrated home crowd, there was also some unmistakable trepidation given their recent ropey conversion record. It proved to be well founded, with Palmer's roundabout run up stoking the tension before his team shot to Kelly's right was palmed away by the keeper. It was, remarkably, the third penalty that Celtic had missed already this season, but they would get another crack at it. VAR hand Celtic another chance. While Liam Skills headed to David Turnbull corner just wide of the far post in the closing stages, the groan that went up from the Celtic support hinted that 50,000 odd people were collectively coming to the conclusion it would be one of those days for their team in front of goal. That was until the VAR team had a closer look at the incident and spotted a tug on the jersey of Mikey Johnson by Butcher and invited referee McLean over to the pitch side screen. It was daft from Butcher, with Johnson never getting near the ball and this time Turnbull stepped up and finished emphatically into the bottom corner. That looked to be that, but Motherwell roared back, and when Blair Spittle swung in a corner, Obika was the first to react and somehow forced the ball home, just as the board went up to indicate 10 minutes of added time. Celtic couldn't find a way to win it this time though, as they had done so dramatically at Fir Park in the last meeting between the sides. Liam Kelly shows why he is in Scotland Reckoning, and chose time-wasting talent. The Scotland squad man made his intentions clear here from the off, lingering over a goal kick for an age in the opening minutes of the game. And you have to hand it to him, he has made the art act of wasting a few seconds whenever he can into something of an art form. His teammate Stephen O'Donnell picked up a booking for time-wasting, remarkably during the first half, which, which came rather from the actions of Kelly, rather than anything the fullback did himself. With the referee Steve McLean deciding to make an example of someone in Claret and Amber. But how Kelly avoided even as much as a talking to was something of a mystery. As well as frustrating the Celtic fans with his long, drawn out kick routine, Kelly frustrated them with his bread and butter work between the sticks too, saving early on from Matarelli's shot, and then doing brilliantly to claw out a wayward attempted clearance by teammate O'Donnell. He wasn't overly busy. Mind you, but when he was called into action, he performed his duties admirably. He pulled off another great save from a colleague when Mugabe made a hash of a clearance and then guessed right to repel Palmer's penalty. Yang has to step it up. The wing, wing was handled well by Motherwell wing back Brody Spencer, 
when these sides met for a park back in late September, and the unknown Huddersfield town man had another good afternoon here. He constantly showed his direct opposite inside, and all too often, Yang obliged ring into the congested central areas and been crowded out. To the South Koreans' credit, he kept at it and should have scored when he ghosted in off the right to meet Mikey Johnson's cut cross, heading wide from 8 yards. With Palma and Maeda suspended for the trip to Lazio, Yang may well have an important part to play in Rome, but he'll have to step it up a level from his performance here. Green Brigade's absence felt. It was rather a strange scene to arrive at Celtic Park as hundreds of fans streamed away from the ground, but having welcomed their team to the stadium, the Green Brigade took their leave as their ongoing ban precluded them from attending the match itself. Whatever your opinion of the self-styled Celtic Ultras group, what is undeniable is that their absence was felt within the stadium which, like in the thumping win over Aberdeen, was largely muted and flat for most part. Motherwell's approach and the fact that they were able to stymie and frustrate Celtic certainly contributed to that, but when the home side were looking for a spark, it seemed they weren't going to get it from the stands. The Green Brigade had built their presence outside the stadium as a day of action. Sadly, that was where most of the action on the day took place, until the final stages. And that report was by Graham McGarry. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 25th of November, from the sports section, Rogers bemoans Celtic's lack of clinical edge after Motherwell draw. Article written by Aidan MacDonald and read today by me, Ian. Brendan Rogers bemoans Celtic's lack of clinical edge in a game they were expected to win after his side's draw with Motherwell. It ended 1-1 at Parkhead after a late equaliser from John Obika. David Turnbull had given the Scottish champions a lead with a penalty, the host's second spot kick, spot kick of the afternoon, after Lewis Palmer missed earlier on, but a finish from a corner by the visitors in added time meant the game ended up all square. And Rogers was left frustrated by his team's lack of creativity. We are disappointed because we had enough opportunities to win the game, he told BBC Radio Scotland. We had over 80% of the possession, so we had enough of the ball but did not create as much as we would have liked, but still the opportunities we had were good ones. We need to see some big moments through. Penalties are decisive moments in the game and are something we have worked on, so we need to start bringing that into matches. We are disappointed to miss the first one, but David scores the second one well, and we were on top after that and controlled the rhythm of the game in their half. However, we gave away the corner and sadly we could not defend it. When the ball drops in the six-yard box, we have to deal with it better. The result means Celtic are 9 points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership ahead of Rangers, taking on Aberdeen at Pataudry. And Rodgers acknowledged the draw with George Gittewell's side was a missed opportunity. These are games we should win, that we are expected to win, but we have to earn that through quality and that little bit of extra finesse in the final third of the pitch, and we did not have that today, he continued. We got into some good areas, but lacked that final touch to pat or pass to help us score. That little bit of freshness was maybe not there after the international break, but that is no excuse. We have to show more, more than we did today. As told to Aidan MacDonald. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 25th of November, from the sports section, Ross McCausland set to sign long-term Rangers contract, 
article by Stuart Wilson. Rangers starlet Ross McCoyland is reportedly closing in on signing a new contract to Ibrox. It is understood that broad terms over a new four-year deal have been agreed and there are just some minor details to be ironed out over the coming days as well as the fact that the Rangers board have made the extension their top priority. McCoyland's current contract is up in the summer and the club appears to be keen to tie down the 20-year-old long-term. He recently made his first start for the Light Boys against Livingston before the international break and was subsequently called up to the Northern Ireland squad where he received his first cap away to Finland. The Rangers Academy graduate has burst onto the scene under new boss Philippe Camont and the Belgian recently expressed his desire to keep the midfielder at the club. He said, We are talking with him and I have a good feeling around it. But it needs to be on paper first. I have no idea about that and our club's interested. That's always something for the player and his agent. I've been very clear about Ross. I could have treated the situation in a different way. First let him sign a contract before letting him play or start. I didn't do that because I know how important Glasgow Rangers is for us. After his game at Livingston and a good performance, he got the international call. That's also because he started the game, so I think we're on the right way. I have total trust it's going to be positive. And that article was by Stuart Wilson. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 26th of November, from the sports section, Aberdeen 1, Rangers 1, Instant Reaction to the Burning Issues, article by Matthew Lindsay. An injury time James Tavernier penalty ensured Rangers secured a draw against Aberdeen at Pitodry this afternoon, but they failed to take full advantage of Celtic's slip-up yesterday. With the defending Cinch Premiership champions and top-flight leaders being held at Parkhead by Motherwell yesterday, Philip Camon's side had the chance to move within six points of their city rivals. However, the Ibrox club, who have a game in hand still to play, allowed Bojan Miofsky to put the team, home team ahead in the first half and only levelled at the very death following a VAR check. Referee Nick Walsh ruled out ruled that Aberdeen defender Stephen Gartenman had pulled Connor Goldson in his area after watching a review of the incident on his pitch side monitor. Tavernier stepped up and made no mistake. So was Walsh correct to award the spot kick? Were Barry Rob- Robson's men hard done by? Did come outside get lucky? Here are five talking points from the encounter. Majofsky magic. After making no fewer than 16 appearances for the club he joined from Radlmonji in his native Slovenia in the summer as a substitute, Esker Sokler finally got his first start for Aberdeen today. The 24-year-old, who was deployed up front alongside Majofsky in a 5-3-2 setup, should have broken the deadlock in just the fourth minute after Leighton Clarkson had split the Rangers' defence with a perfectly weighted through ball. Sockler took his time and attempted to place a shot to the right of Jack Butland. The goalkeeper denied him with his outstretched left leg. A wasted chance or an outstanding save? It was a bit of both. The forward was undeterred. He set up his strike partner for the opening goal seven minutes later, when he flicked a clearance kick by Roos into his path. The North Macedonian ghosted between Goldson and Leon Balogun and showed great composure to slot, the, sl- slot into the bottom left corner of the net. Majofsky has been £535,000 well, very well spent. It was his 11th goal of the 2023-24 campaign. His teammate did well to provide him with an assist, but he has an awfully long way to go to match the feats of the fans' favourite. 
No way, Jose. The Ecuadorian had played for his country in a World Cup qualifier against Venezuela back in South America during the international break and helped them to a 0-0 draw away. But it was the first time he had kicked off a game at club level since the triumph over St Mirren in Paisley at the start of last month. Had he shrugged off the knee problem which had sidelined him in recent weeks? Cifuentes is not a much of a game time of late. However, he started to show why Rangers were prepared to part with £1.2 million to secure his services from MLS franchise Los Angeles FC. That said, he was not the only one player in a light blue jersey who failed to get pass marks. Roos Rock Butlin showed why the Rangers fans have taken him to their hearts and chant his name at every time the Ibrox club take to the field once again at Pataudry. He did well to deny Slobodan Rubetskin in the very first minute, superbly to, to divert the Solskjaer shot past his post shortly after that brilliant, brilliantly to hold a dipping McGrath volley before half-time. The former Birmingham City, Stoke City and Crystal Palace man has been the best of the new arrivals in Govan by some distance. But the ex-England internationalist was eclipsed by his Dutch counterpart Kelly Roos. The Aberdeen keeper produced superb blocks from Danilo, Tom Lawrence, Balogun and John Lundstrom to keep the hosts in front. He was beaten by the spot kick at the death, but he, he then held a Sam Lanners header in injury time after a Rabi Matondo cross and effectively earned Aberdeen a draw. Is there a better player in his position in Scotland? Away day blues. Clement was on the brink of a little piece of history when the Premiership game got underway at Patochi today. Only Billy Struth in 1920, David Ho- Davey White in 1967 and Giovanni Van Broekhurst in 2021 had previously started the reigns as Rangers manager with five straight top flight victories. The Belgian missed out on the chance to join that trio as his team produced by far the poorest performance of his tenure against their bitter rivals. He was lucky his charges took a point back down the road. Too many of his players failed to produce their best football, but he must accept responsibility for the display and result. Is right wing really the most effective position for Todd Cantwell? He was nowhere near as effective as when he plays in his favourite position through the middle. Lawrence was preferred behind lone striker Danilo and had some good moments, not least when he struck the crossbar in the second half. The Welshman has spent a long time out and will improve as he gets more minutes under his belt but his manager has to examine exactly who he's he's fielding and where to avoid the repeat of this painful result. Clement should not press the panic button just yet. His side dominated the second half and both Lawrence and Balogun hit the woodwork, but dropping points in these kind of outings proved costly for his predecessors. Tavernier Bottle Rangers may have struggled as a team collectively and failed to deliver an important victory, but Tavernier showed his mettle when he stepped up and converted from 12 yards at the death. The equaliser was contentious because it came after a VAR check, but there was a clear talk by Gartenman on Goldson as the centre-half challenged for the ball. A draw was probably a deserved result. The visitor skipper, who has now been on target 12 times this term, ensured that Ibrox Club had something to show for all of their efforts. And that article was written by Matthew Lindsay. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 26th of November, from the sports section. Aberdeen manager Barry Robson states Scottish football is in trouble. Article by Matthew Lindsay. 
Barry Robson today stated that Rangers being awarded their injury time penalty against Aberdeen following a contentious VAR check did not look good and declared that Scottish football is in trouble. Referee Nick Walsh ruled that Stephen Gartenman had fouled Conor Golson inside his area in the final minute of regulation time after being urged to watch a replay of the incident on his pitchside monitor by his Clydesdale House colleague Andrew Dallas. James Tavernier stepped forward and netted the spot kick to ensure that Ibrox Club, who had fallen behind earlier in the first half of the Cinch Premiership match when they allowed a Bojan Miofsky strike, earned a draw and a point. However, Robson clearly felt that Rangers centre-half Goldson had gone down far too easily and stressed that not all short pulls deserve to be punished with a foul. The former Celtic midfielder argued that the Glasgow club, who are now eight points behind their city rivals in the table with a game in hand, being awarded another late penalty did not reflect well in Scottish football. I think there was a lot said at the VAR meeting last week about pulling shirts and boxes, he said. I wasn't at the meeting, I was up here training when they put the meeting down in Glasgow so it wasn't great timing. But this is what I have heard. The referees all said that not every pull of a shirt inside the penalty box is a penalty. Stefan got blocked, I think we can all see that. Obviously, VAR has just not bothered looking at the block, it has just looked at the shirt pull. We are in trouble if this is the way it's going to, going to aren't we? We are in trouble. It just doesn't look good for me, another VAR decision going Rangers way in the 90th minute. It doesn't look good. I don't know, I'm just frustrated. Asked if he was surprised that Walsh went over to his monitor, Robson said, It took him long enough, eh? But so many decisions have not gone for us this season. I think we could be sitting in a completely different place to where we are. But do you know what? We keep going. We keep fighting on. Robson spoke to Welsh on the pitch following the final whistle. Asked what he had said to the referee, he said, I just hope you got it right, I hope you got it right. I just hope he's, he got it right, that's all. Too many decisions have been wrong in Scotland. It was a long time at the monitor as well. Listen, I'm not going to get into that. I know you all want me to. What I feel I can't say. Let's just talk about how good my team was today. I thought we performed really well in the game. I thought in the first half we pressed so well, we counter-pressed well, we transitioned well. We played with speed and excitement and could have been two up. We looked like a real Aberdeen team. It is really hard to play with that speed and tempo for the whole game, especially against a team like Rangers, who are quality. In the second half we knew they would have their periods, we knew that, we understand that. We did it well. We flipped the shape a wee bit, we made some good subs, then we just got hit with a sucker punch once again at the end. And the article was by Matthew Lindsay. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 27th of November, Sport. Bucky Thistle players celebrate Celtic Scottish Cup draw. Article written by Ewan Payton. This is a joyous moment Bucky Thistle's players discovered they would be facing Celtic next year. Last night, the fourth round of the Scottish Cup was drawn following the conclusion of sports scene. And, while there were a few standout ties, the one that did catch the eye was undoubtedly the David vs Goliath fixture pulled out of the hat towards the end of the draw. Highland Lee Bucky will travel to Celtic on the weekend of January, 2020, January 20th, 21st in the Scottish Cup. A true pinch-me moment for all connected to the club. 
And this is the moment they celebrated in style after watching the drawn TV screens inside a bar. The players were clearly delighted at the prospect of matching up against the likes of Callum McGregor, Lewis Palma and Cameron Carter-Vickers. It's a game that will live with all of them forever, and it seems like they will save every moment. A clip emerged online of the players in a huddle around a table last night, with some jumping in seats, singing and dancing. Bucky's hierarchy will certainly be pleased given the financial benefits the draw will reap, and it shows how important it is for teams at that level to progress through, through the third round. The Highland League side dramatically defeated Broxburn Athletic on Saturday afternoon after a topsy-turvy encounter. Played in front of a packed 1,200 crowd at the East of Scotland Premier Division sides ground, Craig Conway and Danny Swanson guided the club to one of the biggest in its history. Following a pulsating 2-2 draw, which saw Bucky equalise deep into stoppage time after both 90 minutes and extra time, the visitors then prevailed 5-4 in penalties to secure the passage to the fourth round. The reward, as discovered, was a tie against Celtic, which just encapsulates the magic of the cup. The club posted its thoughts of the draw on social media. It reads, Bucky Thistle will play Celtic FC in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. Just let that sink in. Bucky Thistle versus Celtic. What a fantastic draw. And that article was by Ewan Payton. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 27th of November, from the sports section, Johnny McFarlane, Conspiracy Nonsense Debases Scottish Football Culture, by Head of Digital Sport, Johnny McFarlane. Scottish football would test the patience of a saint at the best of times, but if there's one topic that brings out its worst in the the culture, then it's surely refereeing. While fans of every club have have suspicion, referees have it in for them, the heightened states in Glasgow take this to another level. With the added cultural baggage that comes with the two major clubs, and the intense glare of a media that pounces on every single crumb that drops from the dinner table, it's an extremely challenging environment to attempt to apply the often subjective laws of the game. Look at Barry Robson's rash, emotional reaction to the penalty given for a boneheaded shirt pull in yesterday's match between the Aberdeen and Rangers. He knows this kind of foul has been looked at by VAR on a game-by-game basis, but he couldn't quite bring himself to shape the full sense of injustice as he gave his post-match reaction. He even added up a hint of conspiracy for good measure by saying it doesn't look good, another VAR decision going Rangers way in the 19th minute again. What I feel, I can't say. Amidst this kind of infantile innuendo, and Robson isn't the first to reach for it, who'd want to be a referee? Seriously, there must be a barely concealed masochistic streak running through every single one of them. Even the watering holes the frequent are scrutinised with a level of forensic detail that most top politicians don't have to navigate. Imagine having your integrity questioned by barely informed pundits who demonstrate a bizarre belligerence towards the, reading the actual laws of the game. Some of them will argue about whether the rules should be rather than what it is. Others base their opinions on what referees might have allowed 30 years ago. More still are simply seeking a controversial bonfire to keep themselves relevant. It is in this hysteria that the men in black have to go about their business, so perhaps they're entitled to be slightly defensive. In spite of this, the Scottish press was invited to a largely off-the-record meeting at Hamden last week to give an update on how VAR has been going. 
It was clear from a meeting that lasted nearly two and a half hours that was that Crawford Allen, the head of refereeing, is trying to be more open and modernise how his department communicates. The previous incumbent, the late John Fleming, gave the distinct impression he could quote the last 30 years of IFAB laws off the top of his head, but was not someone who seemed terribly predisposed to opening his department up for scrutiny. Allen, by comparison, is taking steps to change perceptions of a closed shop. Is it enough? No. The SFA can still do more. It will be straightforward and helpful, for example, to release the laws cited in key decisions after games to add clarity. You can understand why they're reluctant though, such as the hysteria, as with Robson often ramped up by the suggestion of conspiracy, that can surround decisions. There are real-world consequences in these scenarios. Many current and former top-class officials tell stories that make your toes curl. Why add more oxygen to a bonfire raging out of control? At the, at times, fraught meeting, Alan was in command of his brief, and both he and the similarly composed and articulate young referee Nick Walsh showed patience with the myriad questions fired in their direction. They demonstrated the steady improvements that have come with the use of VAR 10 seconds shaved off the average on-field review decision. The SFA say that 90.5% of decisions from the man in the middle are correct, with VAR taking up to 97.8%. It had been correctly highlighted previously that these figures were all well and good, but there was always the sense that the governing body were marking their own homework. This has been addressed with the formation of an independent panel of review experts who looked at the 24 on-field reviews plus any other incidents that they requested to see. This panel gave a higher figure of 99.3% accuracy, suggesting the SFE are erring on the side of caution with their numbers. It didn't impress BBC pundit Rory Loy, a vocal presence in the meeting. He said on Sportsound, With the stats and the figures it was all very tedious. It was fine, but you don't really get anywhere, I don't think. I did take a few things from it, but overall it was a hard, to, hard to listen to, to, to it for two and a half hours. Having spent time to detail everything, knowing any failure to give out the right level of information would be met with the suggestion they're hiding unpleasant truths. The referees were caught between a rock and a hard place with that criticism. While scrutiny of match decisions is a valid part of, of the media, in Scotland we absolutely get the balance wrong. Running through so much of the debate is a lack of empathy for how truly impossible the role is. Having to concentrate so intensely while the emotions of a full stadium swirl around you requires incredible concentration. To be cool-headed and rational amid a chaos is a skillful feat. It's beyond time for this to be more readily acknowledged. The truth is, Scotland's ref have implemented VAR in a reasonably successful way, despite inevitable ups and downs. The inherent flaws in the system itself should not be used against the governing body's implementation. Compare and contrast with the level of noise in England, for example, where the system has been in operation for much longer. Few will recognise this truth. When criticising a team or manager, there's often a consequence. People will disagree, take you to task, maybe even call you out. With referees, it's consequence-free. Why in? It's a profession where it must seem that nobody has your back. After 150 minutes of discussion and debate, my main thought was how these diligent, credible guys who endeavour to improve every day must feel amidst some of the inanity that plays out 
on the back of their work. Who'd be a referee? Not me. And that piece was by Johnny McFarlane. From the Classical Times, Monday the 27th of November, Sport. McCoyst and Hilarious Rangers throwback after Garnacho Beauty. Article by sports writer Ewan Payton. Alejandro's Garnacho's stunning Manchester United goal has had Alan McCoyst reminiscing about the one time he managed to pull off an overhead kick. The Argentina attacker sent shockwaves through the football world yesterday evening as he scored perhaps the greatest ever bicycle kick against Everton. The 19-year-old met Diego Dalot's floaty cross as sweet as you like, as his acrobatic right-footed shot nestled beautifully in Jordan Pickford's top corner. It was undoubtedly a Premier League goal of the season contender, as United marched to a comfortable 3-0 win at Goodison Park. The strike inevitably sparked debate over comparisons with Wayne Rooney's famous overhead kick, against Manchester City during Sir Alec Ferguson's latter days as manager. But McCoy's has instead remembered his own effort while at Rangers and the cheeky dig that followed about his weight from the late Walter Smith. He explained on TalkSport, I got one. Nothing of the quality of Garnacho's. I scored in my first game back coming from a broken leg. Walter Smith wanted me to go on and replace the crater I left when I hit the ground. That's what he said to me. He said to me, I loved your goal, son, but do me a favour. You're going to repair that divot? The thud when I hit the deck. Meanwhile, Barry Robson was left reeling after Rangers' stoppage time penalty earned Philip come outside a draw at Pataudry. Bojan Miofsky scored with a terrific finish in the first half, as Aberdeen thought they secured a third win in four games against Rangers. However, James Tavernier stepped up from the spot after Nick Walsh awarded the Ibrox Club a penalty after 90 minutes. Robson was furious that VAR intervened and advised the referee to review the incident when Stefan Gartenman pulled Conor jo- Gosen's shirt inside the box. He took aim at the officials post-match, insisting it was a bad look for Rangers to get another VAR decision in their favour so late in the game. And that article was written by Ewan Payton. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Review, and to tell your friends about our service.